0: Welcome to this edition of The Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Over the past four weeks, we've been looking at the life of the church, the church generally and Gateway specifically under the heading of focused on the family. Originally, we had intended for it to be just that, but over the last few weeks, we feel it right to unpack this a little bit further. And for a couple of weeks or so, we're going to look at the metaphor of of the church that we find in the New Testament of the army. It is a metaphor. It is a picture, and yet it is a reality. The army. And today, we're going to call what we're going to look at "fight for your family" or "fighting for your family," and when. Whenever one talks about spiritual warfare and the implications of this on the followers of Christ, there is usually one place in Scripture that we turn to initially, and today is no different. So please, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 6 or switch it on or read what's going to be on the screens. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18 say these words Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on the evil day. And having prevailed against everything, to stand firm. Stand therefore and belt your waist with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and lace up your sandals in preparation for the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you may be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. For those of us of a certain age, for those of us of a certain vintage, and perhaps of a certain Christian tradition, many of us will be familiar with the old hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers Marching As to War. Him known for its battle-like language and its marching-style tune. If you've never ever come across it, it says something like this in the first verse. Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banner go. Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on on before. It has turned out to be one of the most controversial hymns ever, ever written. What started out as a simple processional song written for a congregation in West Yorkshire, England, it has caused angst and not a little controversy. This hymn was written in 1871 by Sabine Bering Gould to help young people, especially, to help them learn and grasp some of the realities of the Christian life and walk. Later, it became embroiled in controversies in the 1970s and the 1980s, has been seen as militaristic and mistakenly associated with the Crusades of the Middle Ages, and therefore anti Muslim. Some even argued. That that if it was sung, or if it was ever sung, it would be seen, and I don't know how they got there, as supporting American and Western military imperialism, which couldn't have been further (coughs) from the truth. Eventually the hymn got dropped by many hymnals, only to be restored in the following years after an unprecedented pushback from both churchgoers and church historians alike and a correct understanding of why it was written and into the context of why it was written prevailed. I reference this story because it would do us well, I believe, to be reminded lest we forget that this old hymn actually gets a lot of things right about the nature of the Christian walk and the Christian life. And it is that we are in a war. We are in a spiritual war. Regardless of all the activities of our busy lives, the 21st century demands on our time with social media to distract us, targets to meet, pastimes to pursue, none of which are wrong, but they do make it easy to forget that we are in a war. Today, whether we want to embrace it or not, we are in a war, a spiritual battle, as real as, as real as any battle that has ever been fought on any battlefield across the world. And this battle and this war is being fought for our family, and that includes you and me. It includes our nuclear family, our wider family, and our family that makes up Gateway, and it desires to thwart the plans and purposes of God. This war is as real as we are here today, And while I am sure that most, if not all of us, know the theory of what is being said, are we living our lives in the reality of this fact? You see, Jesus and Paul, as we have just read, believed in an unseen realm. In fact, Jesus spent a large portion of his ministry in direct conflict with the demonic and summarized his whole ministry as proclaiming liberty to captives Captives, of course, imply that there is someone or something who can or we can be captive too. Paul just picks up right where Jesus left off throughout Ephesians and the other epistles he wrote. He refers to the believer's life as a struggle, as a fight, as a warfare against evil forces. Today, Satan doesn't care less whether or not we believe in him because he is not after our recognition. He is after our destruction. So often in these circumstances, C.S. Lewis says it so well. He says, maybe you've known some Christians who fit into the first category. They attribute to Satan every inconvenient circumstance, a dead car, battery, a traffic jam, but others commit an equally dangerous error they ignore him all together to do the latter not only does it mean that we ignore a significant theme in scriptures if what jesus said is true it would be like walking on the beaches of normandy in june 1944 with no clue that there was an enemy with machine guns pointed right at us simply because we can't see him in the physical realm, doesn't mean he's not there. In 1864, a a physician by the name of Ignaz Semmelweis, he, he was a Hungarian, lived all his life mainly in Budapest. He stumbled onto a theory we now call germ theory. In those days, everyone thought diseases would spontaneously generate in the body because there was something wrong with the body, like having too much blood or getting too hot or being too cold or something like that. And so doctors would go between patients without ever washing their hands. And so doctors would go from working on a dead corpse or a corpse of a dead person to delivering a baby in the next room. It seems obvious to us today, but that is what they did. And that is why one of the reasons the mortality rate was so high in hospitals. Semmelweis began to suspect that they were carrying diseases with them in small, invisible particles to the human eye. He knew there was something, but he couldn't, as it were, put his finger on it. He didn't know what to call them, So he called them microbes, literally little pieces of flesh. It seems so obvious to us now, but nobody in those days ever thought about it. He tested his theory by having just the interns wash their hands with water and a little chlorine before delivering babies. And he found that the mortality rates went down quite dramatically. But even then, the doctors wouldn't accept his theory because the idea that all this destruction was, was caused by something that you could not see was unbelievable and unacceptable to them. At a famous conference, he pleaded with the doctors, gentlemen, for God's sake, please just wash your hands. But nobody listened. And for about two de- decades, nothing was done about it until Louis Pasteur and Lister came along. Even his own wife didn't believe him. And because of the ridicule and the criticism that he got and the rejection he got, it sent him over the edge. He died a fairly young man in a mental asylum. Semmelweis was so right. There was an unseen enemy. Whilst we would all wish that it weren't this way, This does not change the fact that we are in a battle with a very real enemy. The warfare is being fought right now, right here in our lives, whether or not we acknowledge it. For example, the battle for our mind and our thinking. For many women here today, it goes something like this. Ladies in general, especially Christian ladies, treat most people really, really kindly accept themselves. They do a great job of treating everyone with kindness and compassion. However, when it comes to themselves and self-kindness, they often fail. Add the pressures of life to the stress of family, friends, finance, and much more, and then add to this mix the lies of, of the enemy of our soul being thrown in many women who follow Jesus Christ, do not feel that they are good enough. The self-talk in their head lectures them about these things all the, t- all the time and tells them about all the things that they have done wrong or they could have done better. If I can put it like this, they can end up with having this crazy lady inside their head constantly lecturing them. Although by looking at them, you would never ever guess it. Why do we always get so much wrong, the voice says. This often does not stop there because the enemy of our souls takes the voice of this crazy lady and it starts to begin to think and to tell you that I am losing it. I am well and truly losing it. Lies across the heart of many women say, I am not valuable. I don't have what it takes. And for many, it adds up to the suggestive lie that I am going Insane. This is one of the most used and powerful lies and strategies Satan uses against women. For us men, it's different. It It isn't the lie we tell others, but rather, it's the lie that we tell ourselves. I can do this. I've got this. I can manage on my own. When in truth, we can't do it on our own, We haven't got it, and we can't manage. But it's a lie that we get told. It's one of the most debilitating lies because it can destroy our walk with God, our marriages, our friendships, our families, our business partnerships. But it is the one lie that Satan will use time and time against men in order to isolate, detach, and disengage men from all that they hold dear so as we continue this series having heard last week about the church as a family and what families do for each other i want to talk for a few moments about fighting for your family for your nuclear family for us and the wider church i want us to turn to begin with to nehemiah chapter 4 verses 13 to 17 which i believe will be incredibly encouraging for us because it says when we come to the end that if we do this, and if we fight for one another, God himself will fight for us. The background, most of you, or many of you will know the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Hebrew, was a Jew in Persia. (laughs) When the the word reached him, that the temple in Jerusalem was being reconstructed. He Grew anxious and concerned and nervous because he knew that there was no city wall to protect it. And he said to God, I'm available, please use me. God answered his prayers by softening the heart of the Persian king, Artaxerxes, who gave not only his blessing, but also supplies to be used in the project. Nehemiah is given permission by the king to return to Jerusalem, where he is made governor. And in spite of opposition and accusations and lies and threats from the enemy, the wall was built and the enemy was silenced. The people, inspired by Nehemiah, give tithes of money, supplies, and manpower to complete the wall in a remarkable time of 52 days, despite the opposition. And it is this opposition that Nehemiah is speaking into shortly After the rebuilding has begun. So, in the lowest part of the space between the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their sword, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of the servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each laborer on the work with one hand and held the weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. For our God will fight for us if they were willing to rebuild, if they were willing to work alongside each other, if they were willing to fight, as it were, tooth and nail for their family, for their friends, for their neighbors, for those who were of their people, (coughs) Nehemiah says these words, and our God will fight for us. So how do we approach the reality of being a family that do things together, that wash spiritual dishes together, that include this reality of fighting a spiritual warfare? Firstly, firstly, We can't escape the fight. There are only two places in the Christian life in which Paul says, as a Christian, you can and should flee. He says, sexual immorality and the love of money. When it comes to the love of money and morality, you get out of town. Everywhere else, you have to learn to stand firm because you can't escape. While most believers believe no accept that Satan exists. I believe many have succumbed or become numb to the notion that spiritual warfare is not really a big deal. I feel that perhaps even Christians listening to this, saying to themselves, yes, okay, sure, I know Satan exists and yes, I know spiritual warfare is real, but I don't believe Satan nor his demons are lurking behind every bush. And I believe that I can do as little as I need to in the whole area of spiritual warfare. However, what I believe is really being said when we hear those words is that we know Satan exists, but we hope he leaves us alone. (coughs) To answer this, no, there isn't a demon behind every tree. And no, he won't leave us alone. We must be prepared. We must acknowledge The war is real and raging all around us and we must be ready to fight for it is a battle for our hearts, (coughs) our marriages, our churches, our children, our time, our talents, our words, our wallets, our motives, our hope, our joy. We cannot pretend these things are off limits to the accuser. We mustn't allow ourselves to go through the Christian life as it were just coasting, We cannot live as if we think we aren't on his radar. We can't allow ourselves to be unaware of Satan's schemes. We cannot allow ourselves to allow fear and trepidation to get the best of us. And we must pray that we are all strong and courageous because we do know that the Lord is with us and he is victorious. We cannot allow ourselves to be caught off guard, but too often perhaps we are. Because we often forget about the harsh reality of what we face today. And whilst we cannot know the mind of God, and while while we are not infallible interpreters of the providence of God or the work of the evil one, and we don't need to really know that, we do know and we have that assurance that God is sovereign. We know that Satan is at work, and we know for those who love God and who are called to his purpose, for his purposes. All things will work out in the end. All things work together for good, according to his good pleasure and his good will. But we must be prepared to fight. We can't escape it. Secondly, we can't leave it (coughs) to others. As we've heard over these last four weeks, families share responsibilities As Don said last week, and I quote him, he said as Jesus launched his mission to rescue the world, he chose family as the defining metaphor to describe his followers. The family of his day and understanding demanded the highest commitment of individual loyalty, relational solidarity, and personal sacrifice of any social entity in that world. None of us here today can allow ourselves to be (coughs) pacifists. There are no such things as conscientious objectors in this fight and when it comes to this war. The war is for the things of God. I cannot be a pacifist when it comes to fighting the enemy's lives and strategies and desired destruction of men and women. We have no choice. We cannot choose to opt out. We choose not to be pacifists and we will fight for our family and not just our biological family but all of us here today And that stretches out to our neighborhood and to our neighbors. It also includes that we will fight for the single mums who are raising kids on their own. For grandparents who are raising grandkids when they shouldn't have to. For singles who don't have a family. Young and older people who attend church by themselves and their families are dysfunctional and they don't want anything to do with the Lord and it burdens them. We will fight for divorced mothers and fathers who only get their children part of the time. We will pray and fight for married families with no children to married families with children. It is what we are called to do. In truth, no matter whoever you are, you have a family. When you are in Christ, you get us. You get each other. You get the family of God. And as a family, we need to decide to fight in this warfare. Thirdly, Satan doesn't fight fair, but he is defeated. Little to save on this save remind us that he doesn't fight fair. I know that this won't come as a surprise to any of you, but nevertheless it is true and it does us no harm to be reminded of it. He's not interested in the gentlemanly rules of combat, nor the Queensbury rules of boxing, he won't wait to strike until your guard is up. He won't hesitate to hit you while you're down. He won't wait to give you time to catch your breath or to recover from what has just gone before. His interest is to defeat us, but he is the one who is defeated. Fourthly, <laughs> spiritual warfare doesn't have to be complicated nor weird simply engaged in. How do we wage war effectively without being weird or hyper-spiritual? See, the majority, I believe it's possible, the majority of the time, the Bible talks about spiritual warfare in terms of what happens within, not in terms of exercising demons or fighting evil spirits, but in fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil's temptations. 1 John 3 verse 8 has some strong words to say to us. It says these words, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What are those works of the devil? Sin. When we sin, we're living as if we haven't been transformed into the kingdom of God. We're living as if we are still dead in our sins and alive to the enemy. I appreciate That this is a process, but it still needs to be a work in progress. James 4 verse 7 says these words, Submit yourself there to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, James writes this as part of a bigger discussion about pride and humility. He's not talking about claiming territories for God, of praying walls of spiritual protection around people. Not that they are wrong. But what he is saying here is that spiritual war against the enemy invites involves us fighting back against the things in which he tempts us to and here he is tempting us to pride you see i strongly believe that forgiveness and forgiving someone is spiritual warfare worship is warfare prayer is war- warfare when we share the gospel with others, when we tell other people about what Jesus has done for us, whether it be our our neighbors, our families, our work colleagues or classmates, we are participating in spiritual warfare. When we take a stand against something that is wrong in the workplace, when we stand up against bullying or injustice or whatever it may be, we are participating in spiritual warfare and it doesn't have to be weird. When we push back against darkness, whenever we fight for the life and souls of men and women, we are doing spiritual warfare. I had a really, it wasn't strange, but I had a strange thing happen to me at oh, beginning of the week. I started to think about someone who I met 20 years ago, and I met them at a two-day conference in Florida. I haven't seen them since, and I've hardly ever thought of them. And but last Monday, they came to my mind, and I just felt God say, pray for them. And I said, me? I haven't seen them for 20 years. I only saw them about two days. And I, just said, I just felt God say, stop it, and pray for them, which I did. Got no idea what I'm praying about. Don't know what I'm praying for. But I'm praying for this guy and his family, and I will do so for a few more days. I don't know what is going on, but I do know that someone needed to pray for them. And it is spiritual warfare. I believe meeting together regularly is spiritual warfare. It's a crucial aspect, in fact, of warfare. We should never consider, we should not consider that our being in and our service to church life are something common and ordinary. For we should realize that this work even is spiritual warfare. I believe coming to church is spiritual warfare. On this matter, why do you think that Satan does his utmost to put every distraction in our way when it comes to meeting together on a Sunday? Why do you think that that must-go event, that must-go-to event is always on a Sunday? The enemy of our soul knows that when we come together as the body of Christ in a local faith community, forsaking not the gathering of ourselves together, that this is God's plan A, to see his kingdom come and revolutionize the world. And therefore, Satan will do his utmost to keep us separated for whatever apparent good reason that may be. One writer says, nothing on earth has greater potential to change lives and carry out his kingdom work in your community than your local church. (laughs) There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. No No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close Put another way, the church is powerful because it does not just come together for the sake of coming together, but because it is unified around Christ, who is the one who enables us to live and to love extraordinarily and to change the world around us. Yes, there are times when it'll be necessary to engage in warfare in some external way. We see this throughout the ministry of Jesus. He regularly cast out demons from people and he told his disciples that there would be times when demons could only be driven out by prayer yes there will be those occasions when some of us who have been will be involved in such situations and they are never nice but when such situations arrive they will be dealt with and they can be dealt with there are not circumstances they are not circumstances that we are fearful or will run away from but neither will we run towards them there will be those times when we do have that type of spiritual warfare. You see, in our secularized Western culture, I believe that one of the most satanic activities comes in the form of Satan convincing people that they are radically autonomous, that they, that they can choose their own truth and be whoever they want to be, and that God himself endorses their lifestyle encourages them to be brave in their pathway. I believe it's one of the biggest lies and strategies of the enemy. Again, C.S. Lewis wrote, this time in in, uh, Screwtape Letters, says this, the greatest evil is not now done in those sordid den of crimes that Dickens loved to paint. It is not done even in concentration camps and labor camps in those we see its final results. But it is conceived and ordered, moved, seconded, carried and minuted in clean, carpeted, warmed and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voices. Lewis understood that in our polite post Western society, Satan tends to prowl around stealthily, dragging people to hell, as it were, through their own sin, rather than through ritual sacrifices of a day gone by that the influence of evil is primarily seen in websites and sitcoms and workplace affairs and in its oh it's only harmless fun or those antics of astrology of yoga and not in blatant demonic rituals when we boldly proclaim the gospel of a life lived in christ accompanied by a different set of values and take a stand against wickedness, we are certainly waging spiritual warfare. So as I start to bring this to a close, the enemy is real and fierce. He will stop at nothing to try to defeat and to destroy. Maybe you've noticed that, and maybe you're tired. Maybe it has made you weary, but you need and can be assured that people, your family will fight for you. See, because if you are a believer here today, you don't go for very long in your Christian faith without encountering obstacles and the attacks he hurls in our direction. We can be assured that enemy hates truth. So if you're living by it, if you're standing on it, if you're seeking after it, we will be targeted. God's Words are true. This battle is real, and many times it feels intense. Musicians, can you come and join me, please? But, having said all that, there is a powerful hope that keeps us strong. God is greater than whatever we face in this world, and he still fights for us today. If you're in the heat of battle right now, or if the enemy feels hot on your trail, please don't know, don't forget, I should say, that you are not alone. You are never alone. You will never fight on your own because you have him with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the assurance of the church standing with you that we are family, that we fight together, that we fight for one another. Many of us in the battle with you as nehemiah says and god is the one who fights on our behalf constantly shielding us protecting us strengthening us even when we are not aware we never have to struggle defend for ourselves but he is with us he has given us his words that are powerful and true and we have this his strength in which to stand before the enemy As I read Ephesians 6 again this morning, the reality struck me that Paul wrote them whilst in chains and whilst in prison. Remember, your battle in life, the trouble that you are facing today, may be more about what's happening in the unseen realm than what is happening in the natural nor the physical. Finally, I'd like to leave you with this thought. I'd like to leave you with this imagery. The word for fight in Nehemiah 4 verse 20 when it says that God will fight for us is lechem. It means to battle, to defeat, to overcome, to prevail. But its primary use is to devour, to eat up. So without trying to be cute or clever or trivial or funny, may I finish with this? Whatever battles we face as Christians, whatever battles we face as followers of Christ or in our faith community, we can be sure of this one thing. Our God not only defeated our enemy, he is able to chew him up and spit him out. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website gatewaychurch.org.nz